Well, I grew up in a very simple, basic house in South Alabama. And every morning, as far back as I can remember, I would get up out of bed and leave the bedroom that I shared with two of my brothers and walk down a hall. And I'd walk through the hallway into our large room in the house. And then before I went into the dining room, I would walk past this painting that was hanging on the wall. And the painting was very significant in my life because it was, it was a calligraphy of a Bible verse, Joshua 24, 15. And the verse said, Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, that verse was very significant in my life because I remember the day that that painting was put on the wall in our house. Uh, and God's truth from those very early years in my life uh, paved the way for me to have a life that was shaped and formed according to the principles of that verse. And I'll never regret that. Um, in Psalm 53, we have recorded for us a prayer song from the heart of David. David's heart was troubled at this particular time in his life. And he wrote this song so that he could express the longing in his heart for God's people to understand their need to turn back to God. And I can't think of a more relevant passage of Scripture for us to dive into today. And so I invite you to join me as we open the Bible to Psalm 53. I want you to understand that there are two different types of people, two camps of people who will listen to this message that I preach today. You either know God and are walking with Him, or God is calling you to know Him and walk with Him. And so look for that as we walk through this passage today. Psalm 53, first of all, the, the superscript says, To the choir master, according to Mahalath, a mascal of David. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge? who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God. There they are in great terror, where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. This is the word of the Lord to the people of the Lord. So I want you to consider four facts with me this morning about a fool finding trust in God. Directly from this psalm. Four things. First of all, let's look at the definition of a fool. We find that in verse 1. 
David looked at those who denied the existence of God, and he said, they are fools. Now, in the Bible, foolishness means a destructive self-centeredness toward life. In other words, you are your own self-destructing God of life. Verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. David had in mind the, the person who rejected the reality of God. And the fool is the person who acts like there is no God. See, David knew God. David had a relationship with God. And so he looked at people who did not believe in the existence of God or act like God existed as though they were fools. David knew this from practical evidence. He knew that he had observed the handiwork of God. He had observed a, a relationship with God, experienced a personal relationship with God. He had set out under the stars and communicated with their creator. He set out under the stars watching his sheep and knew that God had created those sheep. He knew that God had even created him. And so for David, for someone not to believe in God was just foolish. I know what that's like as well. I was fortunate to have a grandfather who would take my brothers and me hunting and we would go out at night and we would sit out under the stars listening to dogs run. And we would look up at those stars and we would gaze up at those stars and we would name clusters of those stars. Some of the names we knew that were technical terms like the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, some of the terms we just made up because it, those stars looked like, you know, the nose on our face or something funny. And we would just be amazed as we gazed up at the thousands and thousands and thousands of stars that we knew God had created and placed in the sky. Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament explains that there is both creation and human conscience evidence that there is a God. Denying the existence of God does not erase God from the universe. In fact, it just verifies the fact that uh, the, the person who denies God is a fool. For example, if you look with me in Romans chapter 1 and verse 22, you see this statement. The Bible says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. The God-denying man is a fool because he denies what is plainly evident. He believes in an effect without a cause. He denies morality in the universe and therefore denies that there's a moral authority in the universe. He takes the losing chance on the unsupported supposition that there is no God. And in our day, he refuses to accept the overwhelming evidence of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the heart that is set against believing in God is just plain foolish. David knew that the seat of the emotions was the heart. And so David says here in verse 1, the 
fool says, in his heart there is no God. See, this goes much deeper than just a simple uh, intellectual atheism. It goes to the heart. You can say in your head that God doesn't exist, but the way you live actually displays what you really believe. And so most people who even say they believe in God are really practical atheists. They live like there is no God. And in the mind of David and in the reality of our world, that is truly just foolish. See, David knew that walking with God was a matter of the heart. Your actions will reveal what you really believe. So let me ask you today, what does your heart reveal through your actions about your real belief in the existence of God? See, if you truly believe God exists, then your actions are going to show that you believe in God. And the fool says and acts like there is no God. Secondly, let's look at the definition of the actions of a fool. The actions of a fool. We see this also in verse 1. See, there are results and consequences to denying that God exists. Verse 1 says, they are corrupt doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. This very week, Timothy Keller tweeted, and I quote, In the Bible, foolishness means a destructive self-centeredness. Fools cannot bear to have anyone over them, and so they ignore God or deny He exists. Some of this rebellion exists in every heart. Every sin is a kind of practical atheism. It is acting as if God were not there. End of quote. See, there's a marked difference, Tim Keller says, and also he's quoting from David. There's a marked difference in moral behavior between those who take God seriously and those who do not. The word corrupt that's used here in Psalm 53 is a, is a picture of rotten eggs. It's a picture of spoiled milk. It's a picture of rotten meat. It's like a building, no matter how beautiful it is, that's built on a cracked foundation, an unstable foundation. C.S. Lewis said it well. He said it like this, and I quote again, no clever arrangement of bad eggs will make a good omelet. End of quote. So the fool is the person who is morally insensitive. It's abominable to do evil and not even realize it or even justify that you're doing evil. This abominable iniquity looks like genocide and racism and abortion and elitism and discrimination and adultery, and lying, and stealing, and gossip, and judgmentalism. In other words, all forms of sin are pictures of this abominable iniquity that David is talking about in Psalm 53. In fact, all sin, all sin is the result of a foolish heart. The fool can produce nothing 
but abominable iniquity. See, at the very center of the fool's being, the fool rejects and ignores God. And a fool lives as if he has no God to deal with, but nothing, nothing could be farther from the truth. And David understood this. In our fallen world, though, that's how life begins for every human being. You know that even a baby, when born into this world, comes with a will and a capacity to do evil. No one has to teach a child to be selfish. And selfishness is at the heart, at the center of foolishness. Even our good deeds, David said, are laced with selfish motives. There is nothing that we do that is inherently and ultimately good. God's way is not naturally man's way. God's way is not naturally my way or your way. And David reminds us of that. And the result of blatant rejection of God is this corrupt life. And oh, how we see that exemplified so much in our current culture today. The actions of human beings simply reveal the corruption of our inner being. It's a heart issue. And because our hearts are corrupt, because we're born into corruption, the actions and the deeds that come from our life, that flow from our life, are foolish and destructive. Even the best intentions and deeds are corrupt. David reminds us that corruption of the human race and denial of God flows from the corrupt, corruptive nature that is inherently evil inside of the heart of every man. Ravi Zacharias said a few months before he died, and I quote, God is the only entity in existence. The reason for His existence is in Himself. All other entities exist by virtue of something else. In that sense, He alone is perfect. Without God, everything has to be redefined. End of quote. And so if that is true, abominable iniquity really has no meaning. See, the Holocaust-type behavior can easily be justified and even celebrated. A mother can tie her children in the back seat of her car and roll them into a lake to drown because she feels that that's best for her. See, if there's no moral absolute, and if there's no standard for morals, and if there's no object of those morals, then there's no logic to morality at all. And that is the logic of the fool. See, compared to God's standard, as David says here, there is none who does good. So, your purpose for living, your purpose for being, 
is to find a trust in God who establishes a foundation for morality that is perfect and that is based on Him and His standards. So what happens to those who will not accept the existence of God? David goes there in verses 2 through 5 and he describes the payday for the fool. See, while man may wish to forget about God, God never forgets about man. He knows you. He sees not only your actions, He sees the intents of your heart, the motives of your heart. God knows and God sees everything. And because God is the creator of life, He has exclusive rights over all of creation. In verse 2, look at it. God said, the Bible says, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand to seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. He repeats himself. And then he gives a, a, a total underscoring of the reality that there's none who is good, not even one. God sees motives as well as actions, as well as hearts and lives of every human being to see if there are any who seek after Him. And the implied answer from David is no. No, all have fallen away. The heart of every human is corrupted, sour, rotten, broken. And there are no exceptions, David says. Not even one does good. So the entire human race lacks spiritual insight and has turned away from God and turned to evil. And that's backwards. David calls it like it is. He says man is truly, profoundly, deeply in trouble. We're deeply fallen beings. And that includes you and me. And so, what's the payoff for the fool? What's the payday for this foolish way of denying that God even exists? Well, devastating judgment from God is coming from, coming from God for the wicked. And that's what David describes here in verse 4. Look at it. Have those who work evil, no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon God? See, to the fool, it seemed like godly people had no knowledge. It seemed like they were ignorant when actually the opposite is true. The fool was greedy and never thought about calling on God. Now think about that for a minute. Think about where that puts you and me today. See, failing to seek after God is a sign of practical atheism. So let me ask you two questions. Number one, when's the last time you called on God? When's the last time you prayed? Now, I'm not talking about just saying prayers. I'm talking about like David 
connecting your heart with the heart of God in diligent intercession, in diligent communication with Him, in diligent personal prayer with Him. See, the fool does not call upon God. The second question is, how, how often do you seek God through fellowshipping with Him through His Word? The primary way God communicates with us today is through His Word, through the Bible. So how often do you seek fellowship with God through His Word? The fool does not call upon God. No prayer, no walking with God in Bible study and fellowshipping with Him through His Word. No connection to Him at all. Now here's a great word of encouragement. So far this passage has been awfully discouraging and the bulk of this realistic psalm takes us to the world of discouragement because that's where human existence really is. I mean, you have to be honest with yourself. If you look around life today, I'm talking about today, how much discouragement is there out there? Well, you'll have to agree that there's boatloads of discouragement. But David throws into this psalm a word of tremendous encouragement. Even in the appearance of evil and disaster, he says, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Look at verse 5. There they are in great terror, where there is no terror. Now these are words of encouragement. No matter how gloomy, no matter how desperate things seem to be around us, there is absolutely no need to live in fear. The rest of verse 5, For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame, for God has rejected them. See, it looked like the workers of iniquity were strong and had the upper hand, but David resolved that God's people, people who put their trust in God, had nothing to fear, nothing to be terrified about. And neither do you and I today. Payday is coming, David said, for God will come with destructive power to demolish his enemies. So under the curse that you and I inherited from the garden, we live in a world of despair and discouragement, but we do not have to live as though we're terrified, as though we're in fear, as though we are discouraged. Utter humiliation will come to those who reject God. Do you see that in verse 5? He said, God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. There's not even going to be dignity to the death of those who reject God and discourage God's people. There's not even going to be the sense of having their bones buried. They're going to be scattered abroad. God will ultimately defeat and destroy the godless who attack and discourage his people. Now, over the past few months, I've listened a lot to messages from Ravi Zacharias since he passed away. He often said, 
if you listen to many of his messages, you'll hear, hear him say this many times. I quote, The fool has no standard for morality, no meaning to life, no hope. End of quote. Now, you know that we can't, as human beings, survive without morality, without meaning, without hope. An African-American friend of mine recently shared that her five-year-old, his five-year-old daughter said to him one day, Daddy, are you going to work today? And he said, Yes, honey, of course I am. And she said, Daddy, please don't go to work. He said, Why, baby? Why do you not want me to go to work? He said, Daddy, I don't want you to get killed today. Now that's sad, but that's the cloud of fear that many people, not just five-year-olds who are in fear of the life of their daddy, but that's the fear that many people are living with today. And David says it doesn't have to be that way because payday is coming. God rejects those who reject Him. And without God, there is no hope. But with God... The table is turned. In Romans, Paul sets Psalm 53 in our context for today. Romans 3 and verse 10. The Bible says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You see, he's just repeating Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Direct quote from these two psalms because that is the reality of life. Without God, we're hopeless. Romans 3 and 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, that's everybody who's lived since the beginning of time. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, only a fool would reject the gift of eternal life that God offers. Recently, most people in our country received a stimulus check. You know, I never heard of one single person in this country who mailed it back to the government. Now, there may have been some fools who did that, but I don't know of a single person who mailed that check back to the government. I know some people that did some great things with it, gave it away to people that needed it or shared it with uh, the ministries of uh, their church or that kind of thing, but I don't know a single person who rejected it, who sent it back. In comparison to what God has offered us through Jesus Christ, His Son, that stimulus check is nothing. All the money in the world is nothing. God has offered you His free gift of salvation that sets you free from dying as a fool. And so I encourage you today not to be a fool. Receive the gift that God has offered you through Jesus Christ that will set you free from the penalty of rejecting 
God's gift of Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, fear is defeated. There's nothing else for you to fear. And that leads to the final point in Psalm 53 and verse 6, the payday for the faithful. We looked at the payday of the fool, so let's look at the payday for the faithful. See, David knew the Messiah from Zion would one day deliver God's people. He knew that God was a refuge for His people and that the workers of iniquity would never win. And so look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of His people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. 19th century British pastor C.H. Spurgeon said, and I quote, Patriotism is an instinct which is found in every true Englishman, and most of the other nations of earth can boast of their patriots. Let it never be said the church of God has no feeling of patriotism for the holy city, for the heavenly land, and for her glorious king. See, it's a good thing to celebrate days like the 4th of July in America, to celebrate our patriotism. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we ought to celebrate that. But how much more should we celebrate what David is talking about in Psalm 53? The salvation of Israel coming out of Zion and God restoring the fortunes of His people and rejoicing in the fact, letting Israel be glad in that fact. See, today God will deliver the faithful from the results of misfortune and from oppression and from sin when we put our trust and our faith in the one who came out of Zion, Jesus Christ himself. David only anticipated deliverance and called for joy in the midst of that suffering. When he cried out in his heart and in his soul to the people of God, God restores the fortunes of his people. Let Israel, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. There's a celebration spirit going on here. And you can find trust only in God through Jesus Christ today. And that is my prayer for you and me. Fortunately, there is a solution to having a fool's heart. And it's finding trust in God. That plaque that hung on the wall of the house that I grew up in, said, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not only do I remember the day that that plaque was put up on the wall and hung for the rest of my life there when I was growing up, but I remember the transformation in the heart of my dad when prior to that, he lived like the abominable, iniquitous person that David described in Psalm 53. I saw that transformation take place in his life. I saw that change take place in his life. And my prayer is that that will happen for many of you today as well. Not only did it change the pattern in the life of my dad, it also changed the trajectory of my life and opened up the door for me to have a life change 
as well. When Gail and I were married back in 1975, one of our friends gave us a similar painting that hangs on the wall in our house today. So no matter what you are going through today, I challenge you to choose this day to find trust in God. Because out of that, tr out of that trust, you have hope. Out of that trust, you have a standard for morals. Out of that trust, you have a walk that will carry you victoriously through the rest of your life and throughout eternity. David had a longing in his heart for God to deliver and, and, and restore him and the men and women of his day to a walk with God that was significant. And the ultimate fulfillment of that longing came 20 generations after David. For from David, the very line of David, Jesus Christ came into the world. And the only way to avoid dying a fool is through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you know that and that you're walking in that trust today. So let me wrap it up with just three simple, short application points. Number one, Jesus knows you very well. Now, that's probably the understatement of life because Jesus knows everything about you. In John chapter 4, there's a story about a woman who came to Jacob's well to draw water and Jesus met her there. And Jesus broke every kind of rule in the book. He was not supposed to even speak to a woman, much less a Samaritan woman, out in public. But he said to the woman, he said, give me a drink of water. And out of that conversation, Jesus explained to that lady who he really was. But even more than that, Jesus understood who that woman was. He looked at her when she said, he said, go, go home and bring your husband back and I'll explain this water of living life to you. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, I know you don't have a husband. You've been married five times and the man you're living with now is not even your, your husband. See, Jesus knew everything about her. And Jesus knows everything about you today as well. The second application point is this. Atheism kills. Now why do I say that? Well, all sin is rebellion against God and sin kills your relationship with God and sin kills relationship with other people as well. Remember that verse in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 where the Bible says the wages of sin is death? The fruit of atheism is sin. And sin kills. But don't stop there. The third application point is this. God gives life. God gives life. The second part of that verse in Romans 6.23, the Bible says, the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so again today, I encourage you to meet God where He's wanting to meet you that now. And that is wherever you are in life. Wherever you are in life, God wants to meet you there. And my plea to you today is that you will trust Him. Trust Him with all of your life. You may be like the woman at the well. You may have been living an adulterous life that you need to repent of. God will meet you there. You may be like another woman that was caught in the very act of adultery and the Pharisees wanted to stone her and Jesus looked at them and said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all dropped the rocks and walked away sadly. You may be like Zacchaeus. You may be a cheater. You may be a thief. You may be a person in the past who has just abused people. And Jesus is saying to you today, I want to meet you there. But I don't want to leave you there. I want to transform your life and change you. You may be like Thomas. You may be doubting. When Jesus was coming back from being raised from the, the dead, Thomas said, I won't believe it until I can put my hand in his side, touch his hand. You may be doubting today. I want to challenge you to leave that doubt behind. God knows you and God loves you. and He wants to set you free today to walk with him. That's the only way. The only way for you not to die as a fool. Ronald Reagan said, and I quote, serve the atheist a fine dinner and ask him if he believes in a cook. See, only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So don't be a fool. Walk with God in faith beginning now and then carry it on through the rest of your life and throughout eternity. God, I thank you today for the message of Psalm 53 that calls us to celebrate life that's available walking with you and I pray that every person who hears from you today will be like David and will cry out in our heart oh God oh God save me oh God let my relationship with you and the joy of that relationship be restored let me have a spirit of celebration even in the midst of defeat and even in the midst of gloomy despair that goes on around me. God, I know today that there are many people who have loved ones who are living like a fool because they're living as though you do not even exist. Oh God, give us a compassion. Give, it a, give us a, a passion like David had. For people we love to be restored and people we love to return to you. And let that begin by us living a life that is exemplary of a person who is walking with you, God, trusting you and walking with you in faith. 
Give us that kind of hope today. Give us that kind of victory today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.